If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 4. And we've noted this often in our study here in John's Gospel, that the Apostle's purpose in writing was to make it clear that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh and that he is to be believed in. The verse that best describes the purpose of John's gospel is John chapter 20 and verse 31. One I've read uh, several times now in this series, and I will continue to point to this theme, this idea. John 20 and verse 31, but these are written, says John the Apostle, these are written, this, this writing of this gospel, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And this is what we've been seeing in our previous studies. This is exactly what John's gospel has been pointing us to. The focus has been on Jesus The focus has been pointing to his deity, that he is God in human flesh, and that he is to be believed in. And today we come to chapter 4, and we arrive at this well-known interaction that Jesus had as he witnessed to the woman at the well. And here, too, John is on task. He is uh, following his uh, his set-out method of of sharing and pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ as God in human flesh, but he, he shows us both the, the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. And so here, too, the Apostle John writes of this interaction for this purpose of showing us who Jesus is so that we might believe in him and be saved, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage is pointing us, along with the rest of this gospel, to Jesus Christ. And again, the gospel again and again is sharing different accounts, different interactions, different facets of the life of Jesus, and yet it all points to Jesus Christ, along with the rest of of the Bible, in fact. This gospel is pointing us to this this fact that God is the Messiah, the the God-man, God in human flesh, the one who came to save his people from their sins. And I want you to follow along uh, because uh, sometimes we come to these narrative portions of Scripture and we think it's about the narrative portion. We think it's about the story that we're being told here. And actually the story that we're being told here points to Jesus uh, just like the rest of this gospel. So let's look and I'll read several verses here beginning at verse 1 in chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And verse 7 says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan 
a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. In verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to drink water, to draw water. In verse 16 says, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So let's take note first here. As we enter chapter 4, there's a pointer back to what was happening in chapter 3, where we saw the disciples of John bringing their concern to him that Jesus was gaining more followers than John once had. And John's response was that this was the point of his ministry. Back in John 3.30, he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. And then as we saw in verse 2, the clarification that it wasn't Jesus doing the baptizing, but it was his disciples who were actually physically doing the baptizing as part of Jesus' ministry. And it was probably a good idea for Jesus not to have done the baptizing himself. Otherwise, there may have been some who thought that they, they had to be baptized by Jesus. That wasn't necessary. So the disciples did the baptizing. But note that as we enter chapter 4, we see how Jesus responds to this controversy about his having more followers than John. Verse 1 says that when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, and then skip to verse 3, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. 
(laughs) Just note this. Jesus refused to be a part of the controversy. And rather than stay and add to what appeared to be a growing rivalry between the followers of John and Jesus, which would have given the Pharisees an opportunity, something to bring division between the ministries of Jesus and John, Jesus decides it's best to keep moving. He's not going to participate in this controversy. And by walking away from this controversy, Jesus makes it clear this was nothing to cause division over. How easily uh, we can become divided in the church. You realize that? How easily we can become divided as we live side by side in the church today, serve side by side in the church today, and we should learn from Jesus' example here in John 4. He wouldn't have anything to do with dividing believers over petty squabbles. And so I I want you to note first what, what Jesus does care about. What is Jesus most concerned about? He didn't have a concern for this little squabble. He he went the other way. He walked away from this concern. So let's note first what Jesus is most concerned about. What Jesus was most concerned for is what we in the church should be most concerned for. As we read the Bible, as we study God's word and we find out what the church should be, this this is something that we should be most concerned about. And it's this. We see it in the passage before us today. Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people. And I don't mean that he was a people person. Because you might say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a people person or I'm not a people person. But that's not what the text is saying and that's not what I'm saying. It's not that he was a people person. I mean, this is why he came. We've been seeing it here in John's Gospel. Jesus, God in human flesh, loves people. And so he leaves this useless controversy behind and he moves on to continue his gospel ministry elsewhere. In fact, what we'll see is that he has a divine appointment with a woman at a well. But first, verse 3 and verse 4 says, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Uh, The fact was, other Jews would have gone out of their way to not go through Samaria because Jews and Samaritans would have nothing to do with each other. But Jesus doesn't have that problem. Again, here's a problem that he refuses to have. (laughs) He loves people, and he went this way because it was the most direct route, and he was going to meet someone. He knew there was a woman who would be at the well that he would speak to. And when we look at verses 5 and 6, Jesus is arriving at the town of Sychar, and we're given this clear picture of his humanity. So John, again and again and again, points to Jesus' deity, And from time to time, he points to his humanity. Here we have a glimpse of the humanity of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is God, but he is God in human flesh. And he didn't remove himself from the the trouble of having human flesh, the difficulties of having human flesh. And so in the middle of the day, in the heat and with the distance that he's traveled, he's exhausted and he stops at the well he sends the disciples on to go get food in town he's at jacob's well and jesus rests beside the well 
And in his humanity, he is exhausted. And he is tired. He's thirsty from the heat of the day, from his travels. And then along comes a woman from Samaria. Now there's an interesting contrast that I want you to take note of. It's a contrast between the woman of Samaria and the man named Nicodemus, who we saw earlier in our studies, back in chapter 3. There are two different people. These are, these are two different people who Jesus interacted with that John shows us. And these are two different people, but Jesus doesn't care that these people are actually very different. He loves people. The Bible, commentary, uh, Bible commentator D.A. Carson points to the contrast saying, Nicodemus was learned, powerful, respected, orthodox, theologically trained. She was unschooled, without influence, despised, capable only of folk religion. He was a man, a Jew, a ruler. She was a woman, a Samaritan, a moral outcast. And then he says, and both needed Jesus. Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people. These individuals, very different individuals, very different backgrounds, very different experiences, had a common problem. And Jesus loved them both. Both Nicodemus and the woman at the well needed Jesus. And Jesus loves people. So he's, he's not opposed to spending time with people who are uneducated. He has time not only for the well-educated, but also for the uneducated. Jesus has time not only for the well-respected, but also for the outcast because he loves people. So he comes to rescue the perishing, whether they're well-off or well-known or well-respected or not so much. Jesus loves people. He gives himself to all without distinction who believe in him. All who believe in him, he gives himself. He gives eternal life. He gives forgiveness of sins, and He gives to all without distinction. And that, that's the truth of John 3.16, isn't it? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. God loves the world, meaning not only the Jews, but all people, all nations. So Jesus, God in flesh, loves people. He loves all people. So in verses 7 and 8, we see Jesus asking this Samaritan woman for a drink Give me a drink of water. In his humanity, he's thirsty. He's tired. His disciples have gone to town for food. And her response, seen in verse 9, shows her surprise that he would even talk to her. She's shocked that he would even speak to her. She's surprised because not only would Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, but we'll see here that she was also a social outcast. She says in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And the Apostle John explains here, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. No dealings. Unusual, to say the least. 
she surprised? Jesus not only would speak to her, but would remain in her presence. This is why she's at the well outside the city where there's, there was a well in the city. But she goes at noon, in the middle of the day, outside of town where she was pretty certain no one would be. Because she knew that she, if she had gone at the, the normal time to gather water, say early in the morning, where, where there were other women from the city, she would receive ridicule. She's outside the city to draw, draw water to avoid people, to avoid the scorn that people would put on her, give to her. But Jesus loves people. Amen. He knows she's going to be there, and he doesn't go the other way. In fact, he goes to this well. Now let's note what this woman at the well needs. What does she need? She needs living water. Wait, I thought Jesus needed something. (laughs) Look at at Jesus' answer to her in verse 10. Jesus knows just what she needs. Jesus loves people, and Jesus knows just what people need. Verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What does she need? She needs the true life that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that Nicodemus needed. He needed to be, Jesus said, you need to be born again. We saw it back in chapter 3. Jesus made it clear to him that the only way into the kingdom of God was by believing that, that God would give him new life, forgiveness of sins, but he had to believe in Jesus. And all he could do was believe in Jesus. He couldn't give himself a second birth just like he couldn't give himself a first birth. (laughs) He couldn't do anything to save himself. All he could do was believe. Believe in Jesus. So look at what Jesus is doing now with this Samaritan woman. He's showing her the only way to real joy and true satisfaction, the only way to real life. She needs living water. But she's confused by this. She's puzzled by this statement. What's living water? She thought this man needed something from her, and now he's telling her she needs something herself. Uh, She thought she was going to give him a drink of water, but it's she who needs something. She needs living water. That's, That's all mankind. Without Christ, we need living water. Jesus knows just what she needs. And so we see here in verse 11, this woman, she says, wait, look, this this deep well, you have nothing with which to draw water. So tell me where where you're going to get this living water from. Where where is it you're going to get this living water? Uh, She's thinking of running water, like, like the water from a spring. And look at Jesus' reply again. Look at verses 13 and 14 again. Jesus said to her, 
you need to know this. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Well, this is a commentary on her life. If you think about it, this woman who's had five husbands and the one she's living with now is not her own. She's gone everywhere looking for water, looking for joy, looking for contentment, satisfaction. She hasn't found it. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water pointing at the well is going to be thirsty again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, give. Jesus will give this water. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And and Jesus isn't talking about the water you drink. Not the water from the well, not water from a spring. The water that I will give him, continuing in verse 14, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus knows what she needs. It's not a drink of water. She came to the well to get the water for the day. It wasn't that that she needed most. She needs living water. What she needs most is not water that will temporarily quench her physical thirst. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, in fact. He's pointing to the work that the Holy Spirit does in the life of one who believes in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is life-giving, life-changing, life-illuminating. The Holy Spirit is the life-giving, never-ending spring of water that brings new life, eternal life. The Holy Spirit of God whom Jesus gives to all who believe in him. She can't quench her thirst for happiness and joy. She can't quench her thirst for real life. Can you identify? Maybe you can't identify with all of her experiences, but can you identify in your life that you've done the same thing without Christ? And sometimes believers also do this when they have Christ, looking everywhere for joy and contentment and satisfaction except to Jesus, except to the work that the Holy Spirit does when you read the Word and you yield to God in prayer your life. This woman cannot quench her thirst for happiness. She cannot find real joy. She does not know real life, even though she's desperately looking for it. It's one of the reasons she's had five husbands. It's one of the reasons she's living with someone who's not her husband. The unquenchable desire for better. Do you know it? Have you sensed it in your life? That unquenchable desire for more. That can't be satisfied in the flesh. We need to come to an understanding of that. It cannot be satisfied without the Holy Spirit and the spring of eternal life that only He gives when we believe in Jesus. 
This woman at the well, she still doesn't understand that what she needs is not water. She needs forgiveness of sin. She needs the help of the Holy Spirit to overcome the sinful desires of the flesh. And you realize that for everyone who believes in Jesus, that Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life to help you overcome the sinful desires of the flesh. This is what she desperately needs. It's what we desperately needed before our faith was put in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and then we have the Holy Spirit, but we still need the help of the Holy Spirit. And believers, sometimes we turn from the help of the Holy Spirit to do our own thing, to go our own way. And we can be like this Samaritan woman who's trying to find any way we can to be happy, any way but the way God has given us with the help of the Holy Spirit. She'll have the help that she needs and we'll have the help that we need by way of the Holy Spirit to overcome sinful desires, the things that drive us to ignore the Bible, to ignore Christ, to lose faith in Jesus, and to look to ourselves and for what we can attain in our own strength. She needed to believe in Jesus. And that's what all people need. In fact, in Luke 5 and verse 32, Jesus says, and I read it to you earlier today, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What this woman and what the man Nicodemus have in common is that they both need to understand that they are sinners in need of saving. They need a Savior They are both sinners in need of repentance, which leads to life. They needed to believe in Jesus. And in fact, the whole world, every person on earth has that in common with them. And so this morning, as we think about this passage and this interaction with Jesus, my question to you is, Will you believe? Do you believe? Are you believing? You know, you know, we need to come to that point. If you've not trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need to come to this point where you hear the gospel and the claims of the Bible that are true, that you're a sinner in need of saving and you cannot save yourself. And so this account between Jesus and this Samaritan woman, calls you to believe in Jesus. What you're trying to do apart from Jesus is not working and never will. The only thing that will give you new life, real life, can only be found through faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. Will you believe? Maybe you say, yes, I I do believe. I am a believer Do you believe? Have you believed? If you have, this question is for you. Are you believing? Are you believing in Jesus? You know that that belief in Jesus needs to continue on. It's not that you need to be saved again and again and again. No, you you are saved by Christ. The work that he started, he finished on the cross. 
You put your faith in Jesus. You believe in Him. He saves you and He gives you His Spirit to indwell you. He gives you, gives you His Word to change your heart and mind. And the Spirit comes along and helps you understand and apply the Word to your own life so that you can go out and live for Him. But as you live for Him, you need to keep believing. Are you believing every day in Jesus? Are you looking to the Word? Are you going to God in prayer asking for His help, for His wisdom? You desperately need it. I desperately need it. And yet we can get so busy in our daily lives that we'll go every which way without looking to the Word, without yielding to God in prayer. Are you believing in Jesus? Are you looking to Jesus alone for forgiveness of sin and new life? Are you looking to Jesus alone for real life? We see it here. Jesus loves you. You know that? Jesus loves you. Jesus knows just what you need, and he gives you what you need when you believe in him alone. There's far more for us to see here in this passage, but we'll save it for next week.